and grab a seat. It's so good to be with you today. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team, and <laughs> it sounds like a lot of conversation was generated. Uh, okay, quick show of hands. How many of you, when, when you answered that question that Neely gave, how many of you, it had something to do with cranberries, cranberry sauce? Anybody? I see that hand. Yeah, that's right. All right. So, hey, listen, uh, my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are in, and actually we're wrapping up today, a series on Nehemiah. We've gone, uh, you know, through the book, kind of chapter by chapter through the book, and we've discovered some amazing things. You might remember, and uh, as I do this, you know, kind of a wrap-up, and if for some reason you missed a few weeks during the series, please go online, OCC.org, and you're welcome to catch up. <clears throat> Excuse me. Nehemiah, he, he uh, heard the news, which was not news. It was that Jerusalem was in shambles. It had been in rubble for 141 years. And so really the story of Nehemiah is the story of extreme home makeover, right? And Nehemiah is the world's greatest fixer-upper. He needs his own show on HGTV, you know, flip it or love it or flip it or sink it or how, I don't know, the flip it or flip it off, whatever the name of those, those, uh, those shows are, right? He needs his own because it's not just a house that Nehemiah was renovating, it was the entire city. If you'll recall, it was the walls that were torn down and the gates that were destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and even the hopes and the future and the livelihood of all those that were still remaining in Jerusalem. And so he had an ache in his heart to be able to go and to, to make this uh, a change in Jerusalem. God gave, that, uh, gave him a vision that was birthed out of that ache. So Nehemiah traveled to Jerusalem and he cast the vision that God had placed on his heart. And all the people of Jerusalem said, let us put our hand to this good work. And they did. Everybody worked together. And in 52 days, they accomplished what couldn't be accomplished in 141 years. It was this beautiful, beautiful story of God moving powerfully through his people to accomplish God's will, God's vision. Now, what's interesting is after the, the, the walls then were done, then the population began to swell. The, the people began to return to Jerusalem from the surrounding region. I told you that the population was around 6,000 at the start of the book. Now it has swollen to about 50,000 people all gathered together and living inside the city. And, and uh, so here's what happened then. Nehemiah... He makes sure that everybody has a job, okay? So take a look at this. This is from chapter 7, verse 3. Nehemiah says, Appoint the residents of Jerusalem to act as guards, everyone on a regular watch. Some will serve at sentry posts and some in front of their own homes. And what's interesting is we see this so clearly in the book of Nehemiah. We see that... The wall and the gates and the hopes all get restored. How? It's, it's by everybody doing what they can do. So everybody has a job. It's not just Nehemiah goes and rebuilds everything. No, it's, it's the people all working together. And then after the wall is done and now all these people are gathered together, everyone still has a job. They all need to serve as sentries. They all need to serve as, as people taking care of and providing care and watch care over the city and over the people of Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting. This has always been true of God's call for God's people. 
In other words, every single person has a role. Every single person has responsibility for the welfare of the whole. And this is exactly how the church that follows Jesus Christ was started. If you go back into the book of Acts, you see that, that God started his church and every single person was essential. Everybody's contribution, everybody was valued, everybody's ministry was included. Like everyone, everyone had a role and this is absolutely God's plan. God's plan is to provide a role for every single person in his family to accomplish his vision. And I say this because what's interesting is that's still the plan for God in his church, that God still wants every single one of us to play a vital and active role in accomplishing the ministry and the mission that God calls us to. It's interesting, though, we don't necessarily think that. Maybe you're here, you don't necessarily think that, or your behavior doesn't uh, line up with that. I have been in ministry for 26 years, and I've got friends, sort of pastor friends all over the spectrum. I've got pastor friends that are uh, church planters, and I've got uh, pastor friends that are mega church pastors, and sort of every size in between. And, and here's what's interesting. I, I was just talking to one of my church planting buddies this week, and, and he said, Mike, what's, what's the situation, whenever anyone comes into our church context, and they see this church startup, they look around and they go, oh my gosh, this place is desperate. Uh, they are in serious need of help. Uh, I, I'll, I'll join in because, you know, obviously what I contribute will be massively important to them, right? And, and so it's, it's just one of those things. But mega churches, and, and uh, in some regards, this is true at Overlake, if you walk into our building and you look, oh, look, they have a park, you know, oh, look, there's a coffee shop, oh, wow, they have great children's ministries, they got great student ministries, and, and they pulled all this off without me, I guess they don't need my contribution. Nothing could be further from the truth. No, the only way this happens, the only way ministry and mission gets sustained if all of us play a role, if all of us are invested, right, that, that we all need uh, ministry, we all need to be utilizing the gifts that God's Spirit gives us for the sake of His kingdom and for the purpose of the church and the will of God being rolled out into the community, affecting and transforming all the cities around us. Why? Because that's how it works. That's how it's always worked. Everybody has a role. Every single person is essential. Amen. Now, there, there's, a, uh, there's a question. If I was sitting with you, we're having a coffee together, and I, and I asked you this question, hey, what is your ministry? What ministry do you own? What, what is the ministry that you care for, not just because somebody is, has charged you with caring for, but you actually care for the people in this ministry because you're personally invested in Jesus impacting their life? Uh, tell me about your ministry. If you can't answer that question, it means it's time for you to jump in right now. Like, this is the season. You've got to jump in. Why? Because God has a plan that every one of his people have a role to play in fulfilling his vision. That's always been his plan, all of us together. I was in Pastor Phil's office this week, and he's got a Churchill picture uh, framed on his wall. And it's, it's Churchill saying, all I can offer is blood, sweat, toil, and tears. It's an amazing quote, and, and, and the truth is that's all any of us can offer. All any of us can offer is just our blood, sweat, toil, and tears. Just all we offer is, is what we have to offer, but the, the truth is every one of us needs to offer that to the Lord. 
All of us need to offer that to the Lord. So if you're filling in the blanks, the first one really clearly is God's will provides a role for all his children. His will, his plan, it's to provide a role, an essential ministry for all of his children. So that's my challenge, and that's, I want to bring this. Can I get an amen for this truth, by the way? Amen. Mike, you're preaching so good. Oh, yeah, I know. This is a good message. All right, so let's get into this. We're all a part of this. God's got a role for all of us to play. Then in chapter 8, if you go to Nehemiah chapter 8, what you'll see is this amazing, almost like a Billy Graham-type crusade. All 50,000 people are gathered together, and they begin uh, to go into the Word of God together. So there's this huge corporate message and worship together, starting in verse 1. It says, All the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They ask Ezra the scribe. By the way, this is the same Ezra. Uh, there's a book in the Bible called Ezra. It's the same Ezra. So this is where Ezra and Nehemiah are contemporaries here. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. All right, so I... I want you to picture this, right? In this newly restored city of Jerusalem, the entire population gathers together for a church service, right? I mean, could you imagine that happening in Seattle? You know, I can't gas up my car, Target's closed, all seven Starbucks in Woodenville are shut and dark. And where are they? They're all at Overlake, right? They're all gathered together for church. Oh, man. This is, uh, this is like one of those weird pastor daydreams I have, you know? And they're all gathered. And then it gets better. It's, how, how long is this service? It's, it's from early morning till noon. It's like a six-hour service. Woo! Come on, people. Oh, you know, Seahawks aren't playing today. Let's just keep going. What do you say? Let's just get this thing on. All right, so, so it, they're in this thing, right? And they say to Ezra, give us the book, right? Give us the word. We, we are gathered together to hear from God. Give us Genesis. Give us Exodus. How many of you woke up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, I need me some Leviticus today? It's just, it's, it's so beautiful. And, and they, they were able to come underneath this teaching for six hours. Why? It's because that was the priority. The priority wasn't, hey, I've got to mow the lawn. I've got some status updates to, to post on social media. Like it was just absolutely no. I want to hear from God. And what we see is that the people of God knew what an amazing thing it was that the God who created the entire universe had written a letter to them. And that's the truth in our lives as well. That the, the, the amazing thing about the Lord of the universe, he speaks directly and actively to us through his word. So Hebrews 4, 11 and 12 says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. Some of your transla translations will say living and active, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, it exposes our innermost thoughts 
and desires. We've already seen how, through the course of this series, the book of Nehemiah, which was written 2,500 years ago, this historical book is actively speaking into our life circumstances today. That God knows exactly how to communicate then and to communicate specifically to a context and a people and a situation. But so often what he's communicating has universal application, right? Living in our lives, active in our lives, personal to us. Proverbs 35 says, every word of God proves true. You might want to circle that. It all proves true. It all leads us into truth. You know, if we're not familiar right now with how it's true in our life, continue to walk in faith because it proves true in our life. And then it says, he is a shield, you might want to circle that, to all who come to him for protection. So it's so important for us to recognize these things that God's word provides for us and and to have our minds right that, that his word leads us into life and into truth and into freedom because it reveals to us how we interact with God himself, his spirit within us, how we have a relationship of love with Jesus. In fact, I want you to remember that in the Psalms, King David says something like, I I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. That recognition that as we bring our lives underneath the teaching of God's will, that's how we are truly set free. And it's important for us to keep our minds like in a good place. In other words, how we approach the scripture psychologically matters. Uh, One of my friends was telling me a story about how when his buddy was growing up, as as just a young boy, when he would get in trouble, his parents would sit him in the corner and make him read a chapter of the Bible and write a report on it. And then the dad would read the report afterwards and kind of like, you know, sense, like, does he understand what the Bible says? And does he understand, uh, you know, I guess, how... Uh, you know, it punishes him in this moment as well or whatever. And so the good news is this man, as an adult now, he knows the Bible. Uh, the bad news is he hates the Bible as an adult. He, he's really good on law and wrath and judgment, right? The punitive nature, because that's what he experienced from his father. And that, that's what with the association was, but he's missing out completely on the grace and the joy and the freedom and the salvation that Jesus invites us into. Sort of on the flip side of that story, my friend Jenny was telling me this week that as she was a young girl, her parents made a deal with her that, that whenever she made a mistake, whenever she you know, got off course, if, if, if she would come to her parents and confess where she was, had, had made a mistake, confess where she was wrong, that there would be no punishment. There would be conversation. They'd do the course correction necessary. But, if, but if, as a young girl, she was the first to confess, say, you know, mom, dad, this is what I've done. You know, th- I've, I'm sorry. Then there'd be no punishment. Amen. Now, the interesting thing is, as an adult, you can imagine what kind of relationship Jenny has with her folks. Amen. It's incredibly open and rich and transparent. But not only that, the relationship we have has with Jesus is exactly the same. 
right? Because the association that, that this idea of confession, it wasn't tied to punitive, uh, or, you know, sort of retaliatory action. It, it was more like, no, this is how you can become free and how you can, you know, course correct and get right back on the right path. And so, again, the psychology of how we come to the scripture is very important. What we associate his word with is very important. So we want to associate God's word with good things, with things that are beautiful, things that are delicious, etc. Psalm 119.103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. What's interesting is there are some ancient rabbinic traditions which, as the rabbis were teaching their young Jedi apprentices the scripture... They would, they would put a little honey on a stick and kind of put it on their tongue as they learned the scripture, as they memorized the scripture, meditated on the scripture. Why? Because they wanted that association with God's word and God's will to be delicious, to be sweet, to be beautiful. And so it's important for us to keep that in mind. If you're filling in the blanks, it's this, that God's will provides wisdom for purposeful living. Not only does his will provide a role for all of his children to participate in, but his will provides wisdom for purposeful living. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies. You might want to circle that word, wiser, for they are my constant guide. So you think about the guidance that God provides us through his word, right? His word is his will for us. It makes us wiser, provides us wisdom for this purposeful living that he invites us into. And so you can just picture the entire city gathered together, listening to the will of God being read over them. And we jump in. We're in verse 5 now, chapter 8. It says, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So a couple of different things we see from this passage. Number one is... Ezra was up on a platform, and he opened up the word. He opened up the Bible. And so the people were gathered together underneath, literally under the word of God. Right? They, they said, no, we want the word to be elevated, and we will bring our lives underneath its teaching, underneath God's guidance, underneath God's will for us. And that's a beautiful picture, right? It's a, it's a, the image is a metaphor for how it is that we want to approach the scripture. We want Overlake, right? We've always done this. I mean, it's ever since I've been here, Overlake has a very strong view of the scripture. We want to make sure that, that we understand it correctly and that we bring our lives underneath the clear teaching that God gives us. And so if you, you know, if you're kind of this person, bring a Bible to church. We want you to be able to, every time we gather together, we open the word together. We're in the word together. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. You can take that, right? You can take that. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm stealing from a church. Look, I'm giving you permission. Don't steal anything else, but you can take the Bible, (laughs) 
that's for you, right? And, and we want to make sure that we're a people of the book, that we keep going to the book. You know, if you don't know about Jesus, I just recommend open up the book to the Gospel of John. Start reading in John. Read all the way to the end of the book, right? You read about the person of Jesus. You read about the, the, uh, what life with Jesus looks like. You read about the return of Jesus. All that, right? It's right there in the Scripture. You want to strengthen your marriage, open up to Ephesians. You know, read through that with your spouse. It, if you want to spice up your marriage, open up to Song of Solomon, right? There's all kinds of stuff. Uh, so the, the idea is we want to be people that keep going to the word, okay? Uh, and then look at the response. Do you see what all the people, so all the people stand, right? And then they're all lifting their hands in praise. And then they're all kind of shouting out, amen, amen. You know, amen is one of those, it's, it's a great word. I was talking to my buddy Craig the other day. Amen is, it sounds like, like such a, an exotic and holy word and amen, you know. And it is, but, but if you get behind it and you see what it actually means, it just means truth, right? This is the truth that may it be so in my life. May this be true in my life kind of a thing. And it's, it's that way of, uh, some of you think that's just how I hang up my prayers to God, you know. Uh, I pray, and then it's like, okay, done. Um, but it means, you know, these things that I prayed, may they be true in me. Okay, that's what it means. So all these people, their hands raised, they're shouting amen. Um, they come and they bow their faces to the ground. Why would they do that? They would bow down because they want to make much of God. They want to lift him up. And uh, so all of this stuff, there's freedom as the people of God worship the God. And, and friends, just so you know, that's true at Overlake as well. We want there to be freedom as we worship the Lord just like it's revealed to us in Scripture, right? We want to make sure that all the ways that, that followers of God have uh, worshiped and praised that we are also available for. Okay, so verse 7 says, The Levites... Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodiah, Masiah, Kelita, Azariah, Josabad, Hannah, and Empeliah. By the way, I practiced those this week. <laughs> By the way, that is Ezra and Nehemiah's staff right there. And it just actually makes me very thankful that I get to serve on staff with. Josh, and Pat, and Lee, and Jen, you know. <laughs> it's not a requirement that I have to be able to pronounce your name to be on my staff, but it does help. It is a, it is a, a quality there. So you keep going. It says, they instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning. You might want to underline that phrase. Making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. And friends, this is the role of preaching. It's to, it's to open up the word of God and to present the words of God and the will of God in such a way as to make the meaning plain. As to help everyone who hears understand how God's heart is revealed in this and how we apply it to our lives today. In fact, I would tell you that the very best preaching in the world is preaching that can take the lifeless text and bring it to spiritual life in our lives. 
The very worst preaching is that that takes spiritual life and presents it as lifeless text. And I say this because I want you to know, if you ever want to know how to pray for me, know that this is my heart's desire. My heart's desire every time I stand before you is that something comes alive in you, that the scripture comes alive, the will of God comes alive for you. That's my prayer. And if you ever think about how to pray for me, that would be it. And we've talked before about how to read the Bible, how we understand the Bible. And if for whatever reason you missed a message that we did in September called Faith Conversations, we actually examined this topic specifically over a 40-minute period. Please uh, go back and take a look if you want to know. But we've talked very, very clearly about how the Bible is all about Jesus. And I know that that sounds maybe a little too simplistic, but we recognize all through the Old Testament that there is this creator, covenant, father God who wants a relationship of love with people. But sin has broken that relationship. We've chosen rebellion. We've chosen our own way. So God, father God, prepares his people for the birth of Messiah. That's Jesus. So all of the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, and then we learn about Jesus, the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus in the Gospels, and then after the Gospels, we have what life with Jesus looks like, and then at the end of the book, we have Revelation, which is about the return of Jesus. And so it's really, really important for us to know that the entire Bible is about Jesus. That is what the entire, the, sort of the meta-narrative is another word, the meta-narrative of scripture is to prepare hearts for Messiah and then to live in relationship with him. That's what the whole thing's about. In fact, um, we had people fill this out, and, and it's just one of those things. If you want to write this down, this might be helpful for you. But the entire Bible is about this. God chose a nation to birth a son to save the world. You're welcome. That's the Cliff Notes version, Okay. God chose a nation to birth a son to save the world. And, and that's what it's all about. And if you miss that, or if you don't have Jesus in your mind when you're reading the scripture, then you're going to miss time after time after time, clue after clue after clue, all the way in the book of Genesis chapter 3. You're going to miss how God prophetically says, there will be one who comes who will crush the head of the serpent. He's talking about Jesus. You're going to miss in Job when Job says, I know that my Redeemer lives and I will stand with him on that day. He's talking about Jesus. You're going to miss the whole story of Ruth, how the kinsman redeemer comes and restores and, and, and redeems who she is. And again, prophetically, that's Jesus. You, you're going to miss in Jonah, how Jonah spends three days in the belly of the well to emerge proclaiming salvation to Nineveh. You're going to miss how that's a foreshadow of Jesus spending three days in the belly of the earth to raise, proclaiming salvation for the entire universe. That you're going to miss all of these things along the way. And so, yeah, we We've got to have an understanding of what this looks like. Uh, this, by the way, is why being consistently involved in a great church is so important. And Overlake, I absolutely know and, and, and love the fact that you are a great church today. So this is what Ezra and his priests were doing. This is what good preachers all over the world are doing. And, and by the way, just so you know, it's not limited to good preachers and priests. The idea is that the Holy Spirit of God dwells within the followers of Jesus. 
And, and the Holy Spirit actually opens the eyes of our heart and understanding so that as we now read Scripture and value Scripture and honor Scripture and meditate on Scripture, we can understand what it is that God is desiring for us, how it is that we're to live and to bring our lives in alignment with His will. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Amen. Okay, so that's, that's the word. That's what the people were experiencing. They were so hungry for it. Then in verse 9 it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our God. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Can you underline that last phrase? The joy of the Lord is your strength. Do not grieve. Today is sacred to the Lord. So what we know is that the powerful exposition of the word of God often brings sorrow with it. It brings conviction with it. We recognize maybe our lives are out of alignment with God's will and, and we're convicted. But just so you understand, the point of the scripture, the point of God's spirit working within us is not to leave us in a place of conviction or sorrow. It's always to bring us through that place. So godly sorrow, by the way, the Bible's clear, it's to actually lead us to repentance. So we are not just sorrow for the things that we've done, but actually turn our lives, that we do a little course correction, we turn, we begin to go, whatever it is that God's will is for us, that's the direction that we end up moving. And it brings us to action, so that we do the things that God's calling us to do. Right? So it's never to keep us in sorrow. It's only to move us through there to a place where we're actually joyful because of the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, the salvation and the freedom that he's invited us into. So th that's what's going on. And again, the fill-in, if you're, if you're taking notes today, it's that pursuing God's will leads God's people into celebration. Right? There's this joy-filled celebration that we can enter into. And when you think about Jerusalem here, you think about the vision that Nehemiah caught from God was that the city itself would be restored. It would be restored and redeemed and rebuilt physically. But what we're experiencing now in these chapters is it's happening spiritually. That there's this spiritual restoration and a spiritual redemption. And it ushers in this incredible, joyful celebration and feasting. Ushering in this season where they open God's word. Where they're lifting their voices in praise. Their hands in praise. They're bowing before the Lord. They're shouting, amen, amen. And, and there's all of this excitement. And what it seems to me, and you might want to write this down and just kind of meditate on it a little bit. It seems to me that what's being birthed in Jerusalem is a new rhythm of relationship with God. A new rhythm of joy and celebration in their relationship with the Lord. I want you to think about 141 years of rubble, of everything in shambles, of no hope 
and no future. The temple destroyed. So there's no public proclamation of God's word and God's will. There's no corporate gathering together of worship, of praise, of celebration together as the people of God. Right? All of the, the streets and all of the, the places where God would be worshipped, they're all silent for 141 years. And now, because of Nehemiah, because of Ezra, because the people are so hungry, there's this new unforced, unforced rhythm of grace and of celebration and of joy as the people enter into this season where they bring their lives under the teaching of God and they just joyfully and with great freedom worship and celebrate their relationship with the Lord. In fact, in verse 17, it says their joy was very great. It's as if this revival that's happening in their midst is just buoying them all up. As they lift their hands to the Lord, as they lift the Lord in glory, that God is now lifting them up, right? The joy of the Lord is their strength. And then look at this verse. I love this. It says the Israelites had not celebrated like this since the days of Joshua, son of Nun. You remember who Joshua was? He was Moses' you know, pupil. He was, it, Moses was Joshua's discipler and mentor. And, and Joshua was the one who led in the people of God from the wilderness into the promised land. And there was great celebration there. And, and here we are hundreds of years later, and, and the scripture says they had not celebrated like this since those days. I mean, that's a beautiful picture of how incredible this celebration was. And, and just, friends, it's a good reminder that it's so good and it's so joy-filled to be right with God and to be pursuing the things of God and to be fulfilling your role in the kingdom of God. That, that when, when our hearts and our lives are in alignment with his vision for us, we've br we brought ourselves underneath the authority of his word and his teaching, then it's just so much reason to celebrate, right? There's so much freedom as we live our lives in relationship of love with our living Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a, it's a great opportunity for me then to just kind of turn the corner a little bit and to, to lead us into celebration about the Katali project that we've been going through this whole fall, right? This idea of helping kids who are orphaned, who are living on the streets, how do we help get them back into caring and loving homes where they can receive nourishment, where they can receive not only family, but then a hope and a future, just like the people of Jerusalem. And I know that as we've uh, gone into this, I know that for some of you, because I've had these conversations, you have felt sorrow. That, that there has been, as we've painted this picture of kids that are elementary school aged and younger, living on the streets, foraging for food, being abused by others, beaten by you know, shopkeepers, etc. And, and all this stuff, like, like these things, they, they bring sadness. I know when I shared a story a couple weeks ago, the true story about how I was in this community and a, a bus hit one of these young street kids and I was the first one to respond and, and just, you know, I, I, reckon, it was, I was sad telling the story. So I, I understand this, but that's not where we stay, right? That's not the landing place. The, the, the idea is, no, we, we experience sorrow and then we move through it to action to do the things that God is calling us to do in order to change that situation. 
And I am just so thankful, Overlake, in you. I'm so thankful to be a part of a church that cares about stuff like this and that we would put our hand to stuff like this. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful in my book, what you, who you are and what it is that God is doing through us. So I know that this is the, the front end of a Thanksgiving week, but I just want you to know I'm thankful already. I'm going to be posting every day thanks and praise to the Lord on Facebook and social media because I am just so blown away by you. Right now, I'll just give you a little reporting. Right now, we've got, there are over 300 families that are participating and committed to this idea of the Katali Project. And I honestly believe there are about 150, 100, uh, 150 plus more that are just kind of praying about it, still just haven't gotten the envelopes in or the commitment in. And so if that's you, if God's already stirred your heart in this, just know today is a great day. There, there are envelopes in the seat back in front of you. Please grab that, kind of fill out whatever it is that you guys have decided in your heart to give and, and, and just know that's a, a beautiful thing. But I love being in this with you. I mean, it's so fun for me as I, as I filled out my envelope. I dropped it in last week. It's so fun to be on this journey with so, so many of you as your hearts and you put your hands to this thing. And let me just give you some of the report. It's not just been like all the adults. Uh, our children in our Kid Town ministry, they did this thing with rice and beans where they, they packaged these little rice and bean meals. And they, they were selling them and, and talking about what this Katali project looks like, what sustenance looks like. And they raised about $5,000 through that effort. Yeah, it was just so fun. Last Wednesday, our student ministries did a thing where they had all their students carry water, and, and they carry big buckets of water. And my, my son was telling me, you know, just today that he, you know, he, he had a team, but, he, you know, he did all the work. So, um, but anyway, the, the idea is carry water. Why? To recognize that in some of these communities, these kids have to slug water, for, you know, all kinds of distance in order to have water to drink and to, to use for cooking and washing, et cetera. And, and they raised, in that experience, $15,000 for, yeah, it's just so, it's so great. So to date, and again, we know that there are more coming in. We know even right now that there are hearts that are being stirred for this. To date, we've got, for startup costs, about $130,000 that have been committed and given to uh, launch this project, the Katali Project. And that's for the Transition Center. That's, that's to bring in staff so that we're able to help rehabilitate these children. It's for social workers to help get them back into the homes. And so that's awesome. And then there's about $7,000 a month that's now committed. And those gifts are already coming in, um, which is a way then to sustain this work. Because this is one of those things that we're committing to, and then we're going to keep sustaining. We're going to keep providing for over the long haul. So here's what I, yeah, you can, you can celebrate that. That's beautiful. The thing that I'm praying for, literally, is I, I am praying for the, the reality that there are still about 100, 150 hearts that are already stirred for this. God's already put something on your heart. He's already sort of led you to something. You just need to go ahead and, and take the step of getting your commitment in or getting that first gift in. And so I, just, I really do want to encourage you in this. Take a look at what it says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. It says, let us not become weary in doing good. Overlake, this is so true for us. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Amen. 
So we want to close our time together with some joy, with some celebration. And again, Jesus is the focal point. It's the joy and celebration that comes from knowing his love, from experiencing his grace, from recognizing his cleansing, forgiveness, from just participating in the salvation that he offers us, from being in this relationship of love that, that starts now and lasts forever. You know, Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross and provided all of this salvation for us. And so it's with great joy and celebration that we respond to him. And so we're going to lift him up. In fact, we want to lift the name of Jesus high together. So I'm going to invite the band to come. And, and at the same time, I want to invite my friend Derek to come. So Derek, why don't you come up here? You might remember Derek. Uh, we introduced him a few weeks ago. Derek is one of our interns in student ministries. And he's been a friend of mine for many, many years. But, um, but you know, part of Derek's story is he did live on the streets of Kitali. So I thought maybe we could come and, Derek, what do you have to say for us? I just want to say that I am so thankful and glad that I go to church that invests for the, in the powerless and the, in the ch children who the world has kind of said, hey, you don't belong, you're not good enough. So Overlake, I want to thank you for that. Like Mike said, I was once a street kid. And to think that I go to a church that is providing that hope in a future uh, by giving these children a family is so cool to know. I was actually talking to someone this week and we we're talking about how I don't know too many churches who would invest in the type of projects that we're investing in. And Overlake, I don't know if you know the type of hope that you're giving to these children. So I wanna thank you for that. Awesome, thank you, Derek, absolutely. You are a special church, Overlake, and, I, and again, I just, I love being on this journey with you. You know, one of the reasons why I'm so thankful that Derek is here serving with us is this is his church. This is where he's, you know, got both feet planted here. But sometimes what we don't see, because a project like this feels like it's so far away because, you know, it's in Kenya, it's overseas, having Derek here is a way it kind of brings it right home in our midst. That these are the kinds of children, this is the kind of hope, the kind of potential that we are investing in. Uh, I also want to introduce you to one more person, Musa. Why don't you come up here? And uh, Musa has an interesting story as well. So go ahead and share with us this morning, Musa. Yeah, as I've been told, my name is Musa. Uh, I came to the United States to go to school, and God brought me to Overlake Christian Church. Um, and I was born in Africa, in Kitale. And I stayed in Kitale the whole of my life. I interacted with these kids. I saw their suffering and things like that. And it's very, very important. And we are really thankful for what Overlake is doing. As Derek has said, sometimes you only need hope. And the hope you're giving these children is just incredible. And we say thank you so much. We love you people, and God loves you too. He's using you to help those kids. Thank you so much. I can't say more than that. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Thank you, brother. All right. <laughs> Man, I hope you see how really kind of serendipitous, serendipitous, is that a word? Yeah, serendipitous it is where 
you know, Musa, he, God brought him to the States to study, and he's studying, and then God brought him into the doors of Overlake, and, and he fell in love with Overlake, I think, about a year ago or so, and this has been his church home. And then this fall, he hears the Katali Project for the kids on the street of Katali, and he's like, that's where I'm from. I, I know those streets, and I, and I know the situation with the kids there, and what a great thing to be a part of a church that cares for the hopeless, that cares for the voiceless, that cares for the marginalized. And, so over like, we're going to celebrate together all the good stuff that God's doing through us. Why don't you stand right now, and we're going to lift his name high. We're going to lift the name of Jesus high. But I want you to think about that passage we, we looked at earlier, about the freedom that the Israelites had, and the freedom that we have as we want to praise and honor and glorify Jesus in the way that we see uh, his people do in Scripture. So here's the thing. I, I want to encourage you to as you celebrate and as you praise him today, you might take one small step outside of your comfort zone. That maybe you're here and you're not much of a singer, but this morning you decide to sing out with all your might. Maybe you're here, you've never raised your hands. You feel like that's a little bit too holy. It's not about holiness. Trust me, I do it all the time. Uh, it, 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 what, what raising your hands is like that symbol that you're, Jesus, I, I, I wanna be lifted by you. You know, like a child would raise their hands to their dad or their mom and, and allow the Lord to just wrap you up. Maybe today as, as we sing, you just want to celebrate and you say out, you know, kind of shout out amen or hosanna or hallelujah, however it is that God's stirring. Even as you saw the Israelites bow down with their faces to the ground, you know, during the first service, we had several that came up here to the front and they bowed with their faces to the ground. And, and so I just want to say, you know, there is freedom in this place. Let us worship the Lord. Let's make much of the name of Jesus. Yeah, let's celebrate together, Overlake. <laughs> 